You're listening to FundFlow, a podcast for emerging managers, offering insights into the journey of new and aspiring fund managers seeking to have access in a crowded market. Tune in as McGuire Woods partner and host, John Finger, is joined by guests ranging from first-time fund managers to proven emerging managers, experienced LPs poised to back emerging managers, and other key participants in the emerging manager ecosystem. Hear their real-world perspectives and gain actionable tips to help inform your strategy and position yourself for a successful fund closing. Welcome to FundFlow. I'm John Finger, and today's guest is Sarah Zulkowski, who is the co-founder and managing partner of Recast Capital. Sarah previously spent time at Greenspring Associates, now Stepstone Group, as a venture partner before eventually co-founding Recast Capital with a heavy emphasis on core values in order to empower the emerging manager community. We are very excited because of that and her expertise to have Sarah on the podcast today. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for having me, John. I'd love to start, talk about your history in investing at various places and how those tied in and ultimately led to the launch of Recast Capital. Sure. Happy to. I often joke that I'm a bit of an unlikely LP, given um, non-traditional background of sorts. I am actually an engineer by background. I have a bachelor's and master's in engineering and spent the first almost eight years of my career working as an engineer for a venture-backed startup. It wasn't until I was partway through my MBA, where I was awarded a fellowship from Foundation Capital to essentially serve as an early-stage scout in my local area alongside a handful of other graduate students across the country. Uh, and I was bit by the bug, you know, fell in love with the idea of a career in venture as a way to support multiple companies as opposed to just one as an operator. From there, I worked with a family office in the D.C. area, one of a four-person team focused exclusively on venture and private equity opportunities on behalf of the family, uh, investing in both funds and companies, sector and stage agnostic. Phenomenal families to support, really exciting investment strategy, uh, given all the room to run. Uh, but unfortunately, while I was there, the patriarch of the family passed, which set off a bit of a strategic shift within the organization towards philanthropy. And given the long tail of our venture private equity portfolio, we essentially started managing it out. And as a principal at the time, as you can imagine, that was not an exciting prospect for me. So really wanted to continue investing, understandably. And with my managing director's blessing, started looking for new opportunities. And that's what actually brought me to my most recent role, which was with Greenspring Associates. Greenspring Associates is a large, at the time when I joined, largest venture-only platform in the world, now Stepstone Group. Uh, I had the pleasure of serving on multiple products that the firm had, uh, spent a great deal of my time on the fund side of the house, supporting some of our early stage fund-to-fund strategies, micro-strategies, and impact initiatives. Had a really interesting time and had a really interesting seat to all the dynamics that were taking place within the venture industry. Uh, throughout my career, though, I've always been passionate about a number of things, first of which being diversity. I mean, I was the only woman in the room many times in my career uh, and felt very strongly about finding ways to help move the needle there. Also, given the various vantage points I had of the venture industry over the years, um, I also became increasingly interested in what was happening in the emerging manager space, uh, not only because it was some of these smaller fund sizes or said differently, right-sized funds for their strategies 
earlier fund iterations and kind of more diverse partnerships that were really generating the alpha that one would expect from their venture portfolio. And because that part of the market is also so much more diverse than the industry at large, I became increasingly interested in focusing my efforts there, finding ways to devote 100% of my time, 100% of my career to the emerging manager space because I could not only continue to invest in what I believe to be some of the industry-leading franchises of the future, but also continue to move the needle for diversity because many of these you know, more diverse general partners are backing more diverse founders. So I felt like we were really enabling a pathway to greater diversity within venture by focusing there as well. And tell me a little bit more about how you met your co-founder. Sure. Yeah. So my co-founder is another institutionally trained LP by background. Very complimentary to me, though very different. She spent her entire career on the uh, investor side of the table. And we had a few different circles in which we overlapped. Uh, We're both Kaufman Fellows, both very involved in kind of women in private equity and venture capital industry but worked admittedly for somewhat competitive shops and uh, had a very healthy respect for her and market um, reputation with managers. And you know, it was, interestingly, it was another LP, it was a mutual friend of ours who kind of encouraged us to have a conversation about where we both wanted to take our careers because she had heard us both talk about the opportunities within venture in the same way and would have never known that given our respective kind of roles within the industry. So luck that we were put together in that way and had uh, you know really had the opportunity to have a heart to heart and build our relationship over time and just saw that we we both saw the opportunity within the venture capital industry in the same way and we're excited to pursue it together. That's great. I think for our audience we certainly will spend some time and talk about recast as an LP and a true value-add LP, and we'll talk more about strategy and, and those sorts of things. One of the really exciting things that you all are doing is your enablement program. And I think for us and for you, the tie-in to what you're doing there and what it means to the emerging manager community, I'd love to spend a little bit of time speaking about that program, what its goals are, how it ultimately is driving the success that it is and how it operates. So I'd I'd love for you to share more about that program before we really dive into the investing side. Sure. Yeah, happy to. Recast, as you mentioned, as a whole is really a platform. So, you know, there are the two parts of the business. There's the fund investment strategy and the enablement program. Our enablement program is a tuition-free, virtual, cohort-based educational program for emerging managers in venture. Uh, We work with roughly 12 to 15 managers at a time for 12 weeks, and we run cohorts twice a year. And we bring in our friends from the LP and GP community to help these emerging managers address hot button issues that they're facing, largely in and around fundraising, since that's where my and my co-founders kind of experiences can kind of move the needle the most for them. And to date, we actually have serviced 65 funds through that program uh, with the launch, the recent launch of our fifth cohort. So of those 65 funds, I'm proud to say that 82% of them have included at least one general partner that identifies as a woman or non-binary, and 57% have included at least one general partner of color. Um, the enablement program was actually something that we launched first as a way for us to build relationships with more in the community build our brand equity, and support more of the ecosystem than just those that we could invest in out of 
an eventual fund investment strategy, and you know, our, our the fund to fund side of the business. And it has just been a phenomenal experience. It's um, turned out to be obviously a very strong complement to our fund investment strategy, but also just I think where where Courtney and I get our energy from. I mean, the opportunity to support so many managers in market and really help accelerate their success uh, has, has really been transformational for us too. That's great. You just said in market, it would be helpful, I think, to understand the right place in an emerging manager's life cycle where that program is really oriented and drives the most success. So I, I guess, you know, I'm sure you have some sort of criteria around the emerging manager, but how best to think about what the right point for an emerging manager to start being considered for that program? Sure. So we typically say that the fund is best suited for those kind of raising their first institutional fund or starting to think about their second. We say institutional because these are folks that are raising outside capital. For some, there was a fund zero or even a fund one where they were investing out of personal capital or a solo LP. And you know, this is really for those that are kind of launching their business to raise outside capital for their funds. In terms of other criteria, we are focused on U.S.-based managers to date, and we hope to be able to service more of the international community in the future, but today it is just U.S.-focused. Also, you know, we are, there's no guidelines around subsector focus. We've had generalists as well as those with kind of deep sector expertise. Um, but at you know very high level, what it is that we're looking for is not unlike what it is we look for in the fund investment strategy, right? It's those managers that we think have very unique experience, very unique expertise that will allow them to build a truly differentiated fund and do so in a way that we think has the potential to be an industry leading franchise in the future. You know, really standing out based on their differentiated point of view, differentiated network from which to identify interesting opportunities and their ability to win allocation in some of these really interesting companies based on what they have to offer post-investment, which really kind of gets your flywheel of entrepreneur referrals going, right? Which is what's necessary to continue building your brand over time. Really want to support those managers that we think should absolutely be raising their fund, but perhaps could use a little bit of support in areas where we think we can move the needle. We are happy to look at you know non-traditional, quote unquote, non-traditional, right, track records, and you know are excited to also work with those that come from outside of the venture bubble, right? Those rock star operators that are been exposed to a number of different interesting opportunities and can leverage that to support companies moving forward. So we try to keep it broad in the sense that we don't have boxes to check, um, but we do believe deeply that we want to be supporting those that we think should have a fund and have the expertise to kind of help them stand out in order to do so. That's great. Well, I, I appreciate everything you're doing there with that, with that program and, and look forward to collaborating with you there. Maybe shifting a bit to the true investment side of the house. In today's market, differentiation is something that I think is even more paramount for GPs that are looking to raise an early vintage fund. As it relates to recast, how is your strategy different from other LPs as it relates to your investments with emerging managers? And how do you attempt to truly put your best forward 
foot forward with these emerging managers and encourage them that you are the right partner for them versus someone else? Sure. Yeah. So I think it's a few, a few different things. I mean, first to kind of double down on, on the criteria that we're, we're leveraging to set the stage. So we are looking at U.S.-based, U.S.-focused emerging managers in venture. We define emerging managers as those raising institutional funds one, two, or three. And we have a preference for more diverse partnerships. And we define that as at least one member of the general partnership identifies as an underrepresented minority within the venture community. That certainly would include gender, race, and ethnicity, but we also recognize other underrepresented demographics within the industry and honor those as well, including but certainly not limited to LGBTQ plus community, veterans, differently abled, etc. The funds that we're looking at are predominantly pre-seed and seed focused, and they're predominantly more modest fund sizes. When you pull all that together, you know, we believe deeply that it's kind of that part of the market that is going to create the alpha that one would expect from their venture portfolio. So taking all that together, you know, my co-founder and I are two institutionally trained LPs by background. And given our experience, we just believe deeply that any well-built venture portfolio should include diversified exposure to top-tier emerging managers in venture. And we believe those top-tier emerging managers in venture are going to look and feel like the way we've described it through our investment criteria. Interestingly, this part of the market, while many savvy venture investors understand the opportunity that this part of the market can offer in terms of outperformance, it also tends to be the hardest part of the market for many LPs to access. So we were excited to create this kind of institutional grade intermediary through which investors could gain access to the potential returns from this part. So, you know, really helping address some of the structural issues that some LPs have in accessing the space, such as check size constraints, kind of breadth of team, network to identify the opportunities, perhaps red tape in process that prohibits folks from moving fast enough to get some of the access to the best opportunities, uh, or perhaps it's just outside of their mandate to invest in fund one, fund twos, right, early iterations. And so leveraging our experience, we're, we're excited to kind of create that diversified exposure on their behalf. Um, in terms of ways we kind of separate ourselves from others that may be doing this, we are solely focused on the emerging manager and venture space. And uh, this is where we spend all of our time, day in, day out. And as a result, our, I think, have very deep networks of GPs, both emerging and established LPs and uh, broad community involvement that really helps us maintain our finger on the pulse of what's happening there and really be able to find the signal in the noise. Our enablement program is a huge differentiator for us as well, right? You know, not only does that help us build our brand, but we get to build relationships with so many more emerging managers in market that really helps us widen our top of funnel. And you know, I think that there is a, a huge amount of kind of network effect that's been generated from that and, and certainly goodwill in the um, broader venture community. Kind of thinking about that as it relates to you coming in to back an emerging manager in their fundraise, have you seen situations and is it part of what you look to do to really jumpstart a fundraise for an emerging manager with a diversity approach or diverse general partner construction. Have you seen the situations where Recast is able to bring others into a fundraise as well, either directly 
or more just allowing the emerging manager to talk about you as a partner or being part of your enablement program? Have you seen situations where Recast has had that impact on emerging managers? Yeah, absolutely. You know, interestingly, I think what we try and target, certainly from the fund of funds and touch on this a bit in the enablement is kind of a few different archetypes of manager, right? There's certainly the the rockstar operator angel that is starting their fund, perhaps may not be as much of a known entity within the venture community yet. And, you know, in those instances, or if it's just net new brands that are, you know, teams that are coming together that are, are not necessarily known entities yet, we are excited to invest early and with conviction and to shine that light on those managers where, you know, we can draw attention uh, from the LP community and, and get folks that stand shoulder to shoulder with us to get excited about investing there. So absolutely. Certainly from the other archetypes when it comes to some of the blue chip spinouts or quote unquote more proven partnerships that we end up targeting. And by more proven, I mean, you know, those kind of like institutional funds, twos and threes that we that we are also investing in. Um, I think the broad approach that the portfolio has, not only investing early and with conviction, but also just the deep kind of value set that permeates the organization and how we approach the market and our differentiators that I mentioned previously, that allows us to win allocation too, right? In, in very competitive situations, because I think there are general partners that really want to be a part of what it is we're trying to do in the venture ecosystem and are excited to have us on board with them that their potential returns are actually help driving that too. That's great. I guess one corollary question I want to make sure we talk about, I certainly hear the mandate around diversity within the general partner. What is the approach and the import or requirement of the fund's focused on making investments into portfolio companies that serve a similar goal, whether it's diversity, whatever that strategy may be that the GP is looking to capitalize on. Are you focused on diversity at the GP of the fund, diversity also at the investments they're making and advancing diversity in those goals? How does Recast think about those equations? We do not have a mandate that requires that the managers in which we invest in or support through the enablement program focus exclusively on founders that are diverse as well. We, as you can imagine, though, given the fact that the general partnerships that we're supporting are more diverse, their underlying portfolios of founders tend to be more diverse as well. So that's something that we are excited to see and excited to report on over time. I think it's important to note here that Yes, we are extremely passionate about diversity, but we do so because we believe it actually makes a difference, right? This is not a concessionary strategy. This is, you know, returns first, right? We believe the data that shows that different lived experience, different networks, different perspectives amongst a team, particularly in venture, uh, leads to better sourcing capabilities, better decision-making, better post-investment value add. And so it's all of those things that are driving that outperformance that we're hoping to get from our portfolio. So coupling that with the emerging manager space, we hope is really just continuing to, to fuel the potential outperformance that our product can offer. So the diversity aspect of it uh, and the focus in the emerging manager space for us is so, is so amazing because not only is it kind of helping to drive those potential returns, but it is also driving change, but at no sacrifice to returns whatsoever. Sure. That's helpful. 
whether it's through the enablement program, your network, and having conversations with emerging managers, we live in certainly a new world uh, than we have before, and it constantly is evolving within the fundraising environment. Clearly challenging in many respects, whether it's re-ups or broader macro, what sort of guidance do you provide specifically to your emerging managers as it relates to their overall strategy in today's environment? Yeah, I mean, it is a very unique time, right? For emerging managers raising capital today, it is a difficult atmosphere in the sense that so many of the potential LP archetypes that they may have been targeting before, such as high net worth individuals and family offices, many of them kind of pushed pause on their deployments, given everything happening with the market. They just needed to take a deep breath. And understandably, but unfortunately for emerging managers, raising more modest fund sizes, where the check sizes that are possible from that part of the market is really what is most appropriate for their fund, that meant that their pool of potential LPs to target got very small, very fast. So it's a difficult, difficult space. So I would say LP archetype, or I like to call it fund market fit, uh, is absolutely essential right now. Uh, you know, really being effective and efficient with your time and looking for those LPs that you know are not only a nice fit for and are excited about supporting a strategy like yours, but also are actually in market making commitments today. And so I think that just highlights the fact that GPs in those pitch sessions with LPs should be spending some time in kind of qualifying the LP early on in the conversation, right? Asking the questions to determine whether or not they are currently active. And if they are, how good of a fit is that GP strategy for what that LP is looking for? One of the things that I know is critically important to recast is that adherence to values and that commitment to values. Let's talk a little bit about how that commitment plays a role in your selection of emerging managers to back. And what are some of the things that you look for in that respect? We often say that the emerging manager space feels like a sea of sameness, right? And, you know, it's true to... <laughs> it's a, and we say that our job really on both the the fund of funds and the enablement program is looking for contrarian, right? And we spend our time looking at in diligence or building relationships with these managers on both sides, understanding if it's contrarian good or contrarian bad, um, which things sometimes can look like one another, look very similar. But a big part of that kind of digging in as to why this particular manager should be the one to support that's chasing this particular part of the market. Um, and oftentimes a part of that is who they are and how they operate. The emerging manager space, you know, often is there's less quote unquote data to look at from whether it's track record or other things to sink your teeth into, if you will. But one thing you can and should do a great deal of is off-list references, right? Understand how they are within the community. The venture industry, unfortunately, has had some bad actors in the past and, or, and continues to, unfortunately. And so we, you know, not only are values important, but just like a, being a net positive in our community and sharing kind of the view that great investors, great founders 
can look like anyone and come from anywhere and kind of live that too. So it's kind of a combination of those elements. I know it's a little bit of a fuzzy response, but it's always, it depends, right? It comes from your gut. It comes from building that relationship. It comes from the pulse of the community and we know it when we see it. That's great. Let's talk about the characteristics beyond what we've talked about, but some of the other characteristics that you look for in an emerging manager, whether it's history, pedigree, talk to us about some of those important things that you look for in a GP. Sure. I think first and foremost, you want to see relevant industry expertise that mapping to their area of investment. So that might be from previously investing in that industry and having a strong track record doing so, right? Which is, and which proves or shows that they likely have a very strong network of the entrepreneurs spending time in that space. So they can likely identify and win allocation in, in those companies, right? But that may also be deep industry expertise as an operator. And um, you know, more and more you're seeing companies at their earliest stages of development, the founders there need support from folks that will roll up their sleeves and help them. And without some of that kind of deep expertise, it's difficult for those founders to get what they need. And so at the most basic level, what we're looking for are those managers that absolutely are the quote unquote horse to ride in their area, the subsector in which they're playing. Because oftentimes, at least for us, in building a fund to fund strategy, you know, we're trying to build a diversified portfolio. And that includes diversification by underlying subsector exposure. So for us, if we're overweight in an area, it needs to be intentional. So we need to be thoughtful about covering some ground, right? And so if we're picking managers that are covering certain areas, we need to be thoughtful about how they overlap, if at all, and is the manager that we're investing in the right one for that space. It's not pedigree in terms of school or where you grew up or who your parents were, like that's not something we think about. But we do think about whether your relevant expertise makes sense for the strategy that you're pursuing. Other things that we think about are, in many ways, coachability. It's not our job to teach managers how to be good investors by any means, right? We're backing folks that we think will be excellent pickers of companies. But it is our job, we believe, at Recast to leverage some of our institutional LP expertise to support the managers in building what we hope are industry-leading franchises of the future. And that often means leveraging an institutional lens in building your firm very early on. And sometimes that does require allowing us to kind of share our perspective on what should and shouldn't be done as you build your firm. If there is a level of kind of ego or so forth that they're not willing to kind of work with us in that way as a true partner, that is also likely a deal killer for us. That's very good advice for the community as they think about what's important to recast and how to position themselves and frankly, how to position their firm for, for any LP. I do think that within the venture segment, it's a bit more nuanced and not necessarily the same answer in the broader emerging manager ecosystem. But one of the dynamics that we've certainly seen a lot and focus on is scalability of a GP strategy. I guess I'd love to hear your comments around the importance of that for you at Recast as you consider emerging managers 
And if it's important and to what degree, how do you measure and assess that scalability? Yeah, you're right. It, you know, venture is kind of nuanced in this way. I believe fundamentally that your fund size, so if we're talking about scalability in terms of fund size, first and foremost, your fund size dictates your strategy in some ways. And so your diligence really looks at at least day one, whether the fund size that the GP or GPs in question is raising makes sense for what it is they're trying to do. By that, I mean, are they trying to win allocation and lead deals? And do they have the right size fund to be investing the check sizes that they're hoping to write? Or are they writing more modest checks into kind of as a co-investor and kind of a broader round? And so, you know, looking for perhaps more shots on goal as a result. Um, what is the reserve strategy? Kind of tying all that together, right? When funds grow, we want it to be done thoughtfully, not just for the sake of raising more capital. Unfortunately, you see many venture managers, and particularly those that are doing well, say, in a first fund and are coming back for their second and go out and raise two, three times more than what they did in the first vehicle, right? And it, and it may be because they feel like they can do more than what they did before. It may be because some LPs are encouraging them to do so because they want to be able to write a bigger check into the fund. And increasing it just for the sake of increasing it is something that we're very cautious of. So in some ways, scalability to us, you know, there's a wide spectrum of good scalability and bad scalability. So thoughtful growth of a firm. Um, and oftentimes that means, you know, whether it's adding partners to responsibly invest capital at a larger size, adjusting your strategy as market conditions change, or really kind of honing in on what your superpower is as an investor, right? Um, that may mean that you want to lead more rounds. You had the opportunity to lead more rounds. It makes more sense for you to, to raise more capital in order to do that. It's very much a depends and it's fund by fund. I personally, when I'm meeting with uh, managers, I often ask, you know, what does this firm look like two, three cycles from now? And their answer can be very illuminating. Is this particular GP or GPs like really just looking at asset gathering? They want to be a billion dollar fund in a few cycles. And is that kind of ludicrous based on what it is they're trying to do? Or are they like appear to have a pretty disciplined approach and are being thoughtful about it. Not that you have to remain the same fund size forever, but as you increase, you do so in a disciplined way. That matters a lot too. So let me test this out for you and, and hopefully you don't mind sharing the secret sauce. So I'm the GP and you ask me that question and I say, Sarah, I don't know. My focus is on this fund and depending on how that goes, both with fundraising and putting capital to work, I will assess the future funds alongside my LP partners. How does that answer impact your thoughts about a GP? That's a very acceptable answer. Of course, everyone's 100% focused on the fund they're raising today. And I would understand any manager saying that, but I, I would perhaps push just a little bit more because I think when Anyone takes the bold leap of starting a venture fund, right? Assuming this is your full-time job and you are kind of pursuing this with all of your effort moving forward, right? I'm sure before you made that leap, you had a vision for what the fund could be, what you want it to be someday, right? And maybe your answer is, 
you know, you want to be the Sequoia of tomorrow. And that's a respectable answer and likely have a thoughtful approach to how you would get there, right? Perhaps it's the, uh, or we would hope there's the thoughtful approach. That's really where we're digging in, right? Or perhaps it's, you know, we want to be the founder collective of tomorrow, like disciplined, always raising the same fun size, very different approach, right? But you may have your reasons to do that. And everything in between, I would assume that anyone that's doing this would have an idea of what tomorrow could look like, what they want it to look like. It might not look like that, but what they want it to look like if everything works out the way they want it to. Said another way, what does success look like for the firm? It doesn't have to be, you know, how big is your fund when you're raising fund four? The answer could just be, what does success look like? And I think different GPs have different answers. And there's not, again, it's this depends response, right? Everyone has what feels like their true north when it comes to what they're trying to build. But fundamentally, I want like the hunger, the drive to be building an industry leading franchise, right? That's what they want to do. And they're going to do it in a thoughtful way. But what the end result looks like could vary wildly. It's just understanding the thought behind what it is they're doing. We do this exercise for recast, right? And, and we know what we want to do. So, or, you know, what we hope to achieve, I would expect our GPs to be able to articulate the same. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate that. You have a very unique lens, both because of your strategy and also your great history. What is your outlook for fundraising for the rest of 22, which is pretty limited? And in particular, what do you see for 23? In 2023, I would imagine that some of the institutions, family offices, and high net worths that paused based on the market are starting to come back. I think for other LPs, it's going to be business as usual as it has been for most of 2022 as well, right? There are many long-term investors that have been through some of these cycles before that realize that this is a long-term game. We're going to continue deploying and you know you never want to time the market. I think there are others that, despite not wanting to time the market, also recognize that historically, these times have been when you know, really interesting fund vintages have emerged. And so for others, they're staying because of that too. There are a ton of emerging managers out there today. I worry about those managers that absolutely deserve to exist, absolutely deserve to exist, but because of some of the market dynamics may not have a chance to raise their fund to a level that they were hoping, so maybe not reaching their target or not being able to get off the ground adequately in this environment. And, it, you know, obviously our, our enablement program is squarely targeted on, on helping ensure that there's folks that need the support that get it. The other side of the coin is if you are a manager that recently raised your fund, uh, recently closed your vehicle, or you're, you're someone with a great deal of dry powder, this is a very interesting time to be an investor. And I think LPs in those funds are, are interested to see what happens. You know, the early stages, I think, continue to be a really interesting place to be investing. You know, I think within the venture space, the early stage is somewhat insulated from the gyrations of the public market. And they're given the dry powder in market, you're seeing there's a lot of capital out there to support these companies over the next couple of years as they grow. So I think that, you know, the best companies are still going to continue to be successful. There are emerging managers that will continue to raise and um, get the support they need from downstream investors as well. 
I just think from an LP perspective, manager selection is going to matter more than anything right now. And in the emerging manager space, manager selection is the hardest. So I'd want to close here and take as much time as you'd like, but I'd like to focus on your advice to a GP who's looking to or in the midst of raising their first fund. What are those critical pieces that you would ensure you want to convey to a GP like that? First and foremost, assuming you have a story that you're very confident in and like how your background translates to the fund that it is you want to raise, you know, where you're focusing, the stage in which you're investing and so forth. So your expertise is mapping there. So we'll assume that that's table stakes. The next thing I would say is, or my, really my first piece of advice really is, nothing matters more out of the gate than fund market fit. You want to be targeting LP archetypes that are appropriate for your fund. So as an example, if you're raising a $20 million fund focused on climate tech, for example, you want to be targeting LPs that A, can write a check small enough to back a fund of that size. So that already narrows the field a bit, right? Or targeting LPs that um, have a deep passion for the climate tech space, have dedicated allocations for it. So even if your fund size is modest, they are opportunistic and will, will invest if it's in their area of interest. Also, you know, certainly can build relationships with those that are outside of those areas. But finally, you want to be focusing on those that are actually deploying capital now. So it's great if it's a family office that can write a check of this size that also cares about climate tech. But if they're pausing because of the market or because they're over allocated the venture or because they you know, feel the denominator effect or whatever the answer may be, you want to know that early as well, because your time is your most valuable resource and you want to be efficient and effective in your fundraise. So I'd say fund market fit is the first thing. Second is really highlighting differentiation, right? We talked about this a a few times already, but just to double down on it, how you stand out really matters because there will be many other funds that, you know, again, hypothetically are raising $20 million vehicles that are focused on climate tech. Why is your approach new, different, interesting? Why should LPs be focusing on you? So I think those are, those are certainly critical out of the gate. Second, when you're taking a peeling back the onion a little bit in terms of fund investment strategy. I think many emerging managers don't always appreciate the difference between kind of approaching and leading around and the personality or approach that's necessary to do that versus those that are a participant amongst a group of co-investors that works very nice together, right? They're the sharp elbows necessary to lead and win allocation in some of the most competitive rounds is something that has to be minimized, right? And that approach and that space in market is different than, you know, one of a few firms that's focusing in a space where you tend to work well with other groups. It's very, very friendly, very collaborative, and you're inviting in a number of other investors alongside you time and time again. Those are two different ways of approaching your strategy. And I think it's one to spend some time on making sure that it's something you're comfortable with, A, and B, something that fits your personality, frankly, and, and, and the way you want to show up in the venture industry. I would also say with respect to track record, right? I know track record is a hot button issue for many emerging managers and rightfully so. 
it's tough to understand what LPs are always looking for, particularly if you come from a quote unquote non-traditional. And by that, I mean, don't have like five, 10 year track record of investments from a prior venture fund, right? On one hand, you know, I think it's important to exercise all of the, you know, unique ways you've been adding value to companies. That certainly includes angel investments, um, but could also include advisory roles, operating roles, consulting roles. With respect to angel investments specifically, though, if you happen to have an interesting angel track record, and I'm looking through your track record, I noticed that the investments that you've been making were fairly modest in size in comparison to the checks you intend to write out of the fund that you're raising. So let's say it's a, you know, you were writing $15,000 angel checks into companies when for this fund that you're raising, you intend to write $250,000 checks. There's nothing wrong with $15,000 angel investments, right? Uh, in fact, it's fantastic. And many are not even able to do that. But the jump between 15,000 and 250,000 is a meaningful one. And so being able to articulate why the same entrepreneurs that you were supporting as an angel would want you to participate and would allow you to get the allocation you're looking for out of the fund. And the best way for me to do that is to talk to all the entrepreneurs that you've supported and say, hey, if so-and-so had a checkbook that would allow them to have written a $250,000 check, would you have left them? And why? We've done checks on folks where the entrepreneur in question didn't remember that angel investor's name. <laughs> and, and that's obviously not a great sign, right? So, you know, you want to really be able to get comfort that they're going to be able to execute what it is that they're trying to execute. And the same can be said, even if it's without an angel track record, but it's with your advisory work or operating roles, consulting roles, right? You, it's the same conversations we have with these entrepreneurs to say, hey, if they had had a checkbook, uh, and we're able to write an X thousand dollar check, would you let them and why? And hopefully, again, the answers are a resounding yes and very positive. Oh, that's fantastic guidance, Sarah. Really appreciate it. And I know I know the listeners will as well. So thank you to our guest, Sarah Zilkowski, for coming on FunFlow today and sharing your experience with the emerging manager ecosystem that we have here. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of FunFlow. And we hope to have you next time. Thanks, John. Thank you for joining us on this episode of FundFlow. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host John Finger at jfinger at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action. 